0: U.S. inching closer to an unspoken nuclear arrangement with Iran. What can be done about anti-Semitism at colleges like CUNY and GW? And with the state of Florida investigating Morningstar's ESG ratings of Israel-based companies, will other states follow?
1: Joining us this week to talk Iran, Israel, Abraham Accords, anti-Semitism, and so much more: New Jersey Congressman Josh Gottheimer.
0: Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insider's podcast. Welcome back to Jewish Insiders Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg.
1: And I'm Jared Bernstein.
0: Jared, we got a lot of great feedback on last week's podcast uh, about Saudi Arabia uh, and possibilities for normalization with Israel, and uh, a really great report uh, alongside that podcast from Jewish Insider uh, reporting out uh, House Democrats and some Senate Democrats as well who would be open uh, to supporting uh, some major uh, moves forward like U.S.-Saudi uh, nuclear cooperation, a 1-2-3 agreement, other issues as well in the military defense cooperation domain, uh, even though they there has been some hostility, uh, especially from the Democratic base to Saudi Arabia in the past, in the context of an Israel normalization deal. So a, a lot of positive signals, but as we learned, it's sort of in uh, the uh, royal court's court, uh, if you will, to move forward here,
1: the Royal Court. court. Yeah, I know. You know what, Rich? It was great to see so many of our our listeners at the Israeli Embassy's uh, Independence Day party down in Washington, D.C. It was great to see you in person. You know, we uh, you as well.
0: Always yeah. good to see you, Jared. Um, and, and two so- two cities can't compare to uh, to the District that is Columbia. So. I mean, there you have it.
1: <laughs> something like that. Uh, all right. What else we got going on here? We have, well, we uh, also
0: had some, some news. Uh, people have heard me talk a lot about ESG ratings and BDS uh, and Morningstar, the financial ratings firm. The state of Florida confirming last week that they are now opening a formal investigation into Morningstar for potentially violating the state's anti-BDS law. Based on ratings uh, that we've seen from multiple news outlets confirming 26 companies uh, being targeted with negative ratings just for operations uh, being conducted in parts of Jerusalem, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, uh, clear BDS type standards. So maybe we'll ask our guest about it as well uh, and others, but uh, we'll see if uh, Florida is the last one uh, or if others uh, will open investigations as well.
1: Yeah, and listen, as somebody who does care about ESG, and I'm a big believer in it, uh, I, I feel like this is a total corruption of, of what ESG standards are supposed to stand for. Um, and I'm glad uh, that people are taking action on it. And, you know, I guess when it comes to Governor DeSantis, uh, a, cl- a broken clock could be, could be right twice a day. So,
0: but you know, if Governor Murphy, like in New Jersey, comes out, you right, know, that, right. then you'll then you'll you'll be able to tell everybody about New Jersey instead of Florida. That's investigation right. Investigation make exactly. you feel a lot better. That's so, right. So, so there that's you go.
1: Right. All right. Well, um, let's,
0: let let's get to our guest, Jared. Yes, let's do it. Congressman Josh Gottheimer represents New Jersey's 5th Congressional District in the northernmost part of the state which includes parts of Bergen, Passaic and Sussex counties. He's now in his 4th term in office, serves on two committees including the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and also the House Financial Services Committee. He's a co-chair of the bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus and a member of the Blue Dog Coalition and the New Democrat Coalition. Congressman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very excited to have you. we got a lot of issues uh, uh, to cover. We'll dive right into some of the breaking news over the weekend uh, on an issue I know you follow closely, uh, and that is Iran, its nuclear program, uh, what our strategy is, where it's going. Um, There are some conflicting reports over a waiver uh, that was issued uh, by the Biden administration to allow the Iraqis to release $2.7 $2.7 billion uh, worth of these frozen funds to the Iranians. The administration's claiming nothing to see here. These waivers are normal, a pretty large cash amount. And of course, in the background, there are these rumors and reports on potential indirect talks through the Omanis on whether or not there will be some kind of nuclear deal arrangement, offers made, cash for for some halt to the enrichment program. What do you make of all of it going on? What are you hearing of, of, of what's really going on?
2: Well, you know, I'm probably hearing what you're hearing in terms of the scuttlebutt out there. Um, I've asked, I'm on the Intelligence Committee, I've uh, requested a full briefing. So I will know more, which I probably won't be able to share with you soon. <laughs> but but um, I've been, you know, broadly speaking, what what what's proven out consistently uh, for those of us who are opposed to the original jcpoa and and have had concerns since is that iran uh they are the government of iran has proven to be liars and cheats every step of the way right and so most recently with their involvement with russia and the chinese in ukraine we've seen just the lengths they're willing to go to uh to inflict harm and especially vis-a-vis the west and us Um, uh, and against our allies, right? Uh, Either, again, through their proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, Palestinian Jihad, or um, directly now through IRGC, attacking our bases, attacking Americans, um, attacking our allies. And so, you know, whenever Iran is involved, the government of Iran, you know, I sleep with one eye open uh, because I think that's the best posture toward them, both on the nuclear front and, of course, on the terror front, which has always been a huge part of my broader concern about the Iranians. And, you know, if you look at their enrichment strategy, which initially was, hey, we're only going to enrich to 3% because it's for nuclear power. Don't worry, nothing to see here. And now we know where they are in terms of their enrichment levels as they speed toward potentially uh, having a uh, fully capable nuclear weapon.
0: Congressman, you raised some excellent points here on on, on the ongoing plots against U.S. forces in, in, in Syria and Iraq and obviously the assassination plots. And then you add in you know, the White House coming out just last week on the expanded cooperation between Iran and Russia. We have Wall Street Journal reporting on, on additional Chinese cooperation and the drones that are being provided to attack Ukraine. So, right, the picture itself, you add in the uprising, the women of Iran, It it it's mind boggling, I think, for many of us to think, well, this is exactly when we would reach out through the Omanis and see what can be done on a nuclear deal, right? It's just I, what is what is like how how do you react to that when you hear that this is happening what are the conversations like with the administration that justify them sort of being very forthright they're the ones declassifying information about the Russian Iran relationship and, and concerned about it and yet it's sort of like left hand right hand and here's here's what we're going to do we're going to loosen some cash potentially for the Iranians for their enrichment program how, how do the two things sort of go together
2: well I mean the question I mean, is there's you know that's why I want to actually get a classified briefing, because other questions those are, you know, well,
0: how does this from broader
2: U.S.-Israel relationship perspective, there are other considerations here that come into play in the region, as you know. So I think you have to really understand, peel back all the layers. Um, but, you know, any any inclination that we would be providing trust in dollars um, uh, without a very clear, you know, this is really what we want to understand. Well, what exactly is the terms of any deal if there is a deal? What does it look like? Is there a strategic reason why we're doing this? Um, uh, just, I think you have to approach every potential deal with the government of Iran, as you point out, not the people, because I think a lot of the people are the ones who also have problems with their government. Any potential agreement, you have to look at it from a from the perspective that the Iranians are not truth tellers, the government, and never have been, right? And and when they look for an edge, they will take it. Which is why I pushed with uh, Claudia Taney last week on snapbacks to make sure that you're saying to the Europeans, hey, you're still in this agreement. Are you making sure that you're, and given their program that they've continued to go forward on, are you looking at uh, utilizing snapbacks that, are, that were in the deal, right, for violations of the nuclear agreement? So, you know, we have to keep pressure on them. I'm a big believer in the sanction strategy. I think tightening the screws on them is always good. So I worry whenever we're giving them bags of cash that they could use to further their terror activity. And they've proven now that they're doing it directly. They used to hide behind their proxies, as you know. They're, they're, they're more brazen now. And we've seen more coordination between Hezbollah uh, and Hamas and Palestinian Jihad in Israel on the attack front, um, more coordination in what they're doing, right? And which also concerns me greatly.
1: Congressman, a follow-up to something we talked about on our podcast last week, which is the, uh, the beginnings of cooperation between Saudi Arabia and, and maybe a pivot towards uh, China. Um, and one of our guests last week hinted at that this might be a, a, a you know, an effort on behalf of the Saudis to get China to help rein in the Iranians. What do you make of that? Is it possible? Is it is it uh, wishful thinking? Uh, is there any uh, potential for success with the use, you know, use China to help rein in the Iranians on some of their nuclear ambitions?
2: Well, maybe. I mean, I, I generally am very circumspect what the Chinese are doing, right, as I believe our number one adversary. And, you know, their, their uh, aggression uh, and involvement in the region, especially partnering with Russia and Iran, as we just talked about, um, uh, always concerns me, uh, especially look at their behavior the last year in terms of what they're supplying and who they're talking to and who they're sitting down with. Now, maybe they want to suddenly become this grand diplomat uh, as a way of pushing us uh, out, uh, making us exit stage right. But, but uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm much, I, I'm not sure I accept that premise. I also think with the Saudis, um, you know, I, I think uh, you saw, you saw blinking going there last, you know, sitting down last week, that's all very positive. I believe when it comes to the accords, uh, I subscribe to the Saudis will be ultimately included in the accords as part of it, which I think would be a very good development for the region, both of course, economically, militarily stabilizing the region, not uh, putting a lot of pressure on the PA with the Palestinians. Um, uh, but I do believe that the Saudis are not stupid and they're going to use whatever they can to leverage the best agreement they can get out of the Israelis or us, right? So I think there's – you know, and again, that's uh, not something I know from any kind of classified setting. That's just my theory of why the, the Saudis could be sitting down with the folks they've been sitting down with over the last couple of months
0: and congressman my last thread on on iran uh before we move on to other issues um you know you mentioned obviously you're get, you're going to get briefed on, on sort of the latest on the somani channel and what's really going back and forth uh and appreciate that um uh, my concern really is if if there are offers you know being made or there's accounts that are being released via statutory waivers now before there is any supposed deal maybe there will never be a deal there's sort of just an un you know just an understanding right on both sides with nothing written down um, it, it seems like it could be a tactic to evade the Iran nuclear agreement review act right to, so there's no big announcement we're not trading this money for the nuclear stuff' we just start unlocking accounts. Now waivers are issued. The administration can just claim, Oh, well, this is for Iraqi electricity. Oh, this is, you know, South Korea has debt. Oh, you know, there's a hostage exchange. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, September the IAEA reports, Oh, I guess Iran just slowed at 60% uh, uranium enrichment. It's, it, isn't that unbelievable? So, so I, I you know, I, I don't know what the recourse would be for Congress if you, if you detected that, but it, that would be my concern.
2: And listen, I think our, Our goal should be in two fronts, stopping them enriching to the to to levels, weaponizing and and breakout. Right. So I think that should be number one goal. And number two, obviously, to address someone, address their terror program, which continues. Um, uh, And so those are two problems that continue. Uh, you know, so I, what I don't know, and it's a, Rich, it's a great question you're asking, like, is this them being, would this be them being weak or is it actually being strong because we're stopping what we don't want moving forward? And this is, and the Iranians are actually realizing they're not going to get a deal, JCPOA part two. So this is their way of just getting out, um, uh, and getting something that they need resources in exchange for stopping their nuclear program, which is obviously our paramount the paramount goal. So that, that's the part I just don't know, and uh, right? But uh, I, I think the administration has clearly, if year one of the administration was, we want JCPOA2, full steam ahead. Many of us, I led several letters with Democrats and Republicans saying, hold on there, we're going to oppose you here. And then, and then of, of course, Ukraine happens. The Iranians line up with the, the Chinese and the Russians. Um, they're providing drones, as you pointed out. They're, they're moving forward to help uh uh Russia roll try to roll over the Ukrainians then you know i think the this administration woke up and said whoa whoa we can't there's no way we could do it uh JCPOA part 2 with these guys right i mean yeah, how are we going to do that these people are attacking these folks are attacking ukraine or helping ukraine get attacked we can't help that we can't be part of that so uh, that's why i like really want to understand the specifics if there are specifics of of what's been reported because There's got to be an explanation here that makes sense, given this fact pattern.
1: Congressman, shifting gears for a minute. um, So the White House announced its comprehensive strategy on anti-Semitism. A lot of good things in there. I know that the administration got beat up for a couple of things, which I frankly think are are a little bit red herrings, but uh, interested to hear your take on it and what you think it means to have this first ever comprehensive strategy on anti-Semitism. Announced uh, by a president and, uh, and his administration. Broadly speaking, excellent, right?
2: I mean, I, I think this is what we should be doing more of in this country, especially given the huge spike in ethnic attacks in the most recent years, right, which are alarming to say the least. What's going on in college campuses, BDS growing. You know, I, I just spoke out against CUNY, if you followed that. Of, of, of those, you know, just shockingly, outrageously anti-Semitic comments that were made at the school that has a BDS problem to begin with and, and an administration that's weak at best. Um, and I think they should clean house, in my opinion, over there. Um, um, but that's so why I welcome the strategy. It's a first. It's historic. Um, uh, it's a whole-of-government approach, you know, um, uh, it's, you know, to fight anti-Semitism. My, you know, my concerns are the ones that have been expressed elsewhere, which I think are the right concerns on the definition, right? Why is it not fully codified? Why would they list other definitions, which I believe are, 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 are certainly questionable and shaky. Um, um, so, uh, so concerned about, you know, just enforcement side of that and, and adopting, uh, um, you know a, a you know and alluding to and bringing up a definition which many of us have huge concerns with and from and from critics there you know that are clearly you know so and even today Deborah talked about or I guess it was over the weekend in some in a speech talked about how you know who they brought to the table as part of that conversation you know these are folks you got to be wary about so you know and that, that's sort of part of my concern.
0: Congressman, you raised uh, the, the issue of CUNY, uh, the law school, obviously, the latest outrage, uh, sort of a repeat in some ways of what we saw last year, but not just about one speech here and there, really uh, a pattern uh, of abuse, uh, anti-Semitism at, at various colleges within the, in the CUNY system. There are open OCR complaints, two of them against the law school, one against Hunter, one against Brooklyn. Uh, you know, you obviously have called on on the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education to take action here with open complaints. Is there a possibility that the governor, the mayor, the, you know, the oversight of, of, of the university system is able to intervene here and say, hey, we, we want to have a settlement with OCR that includes the following policy changes, you know, really address this anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, which is clearly something that they, they can't do with the administration's
2: I mean, you would hope, right? If you were the governor there, you would jump in
0: and say, because remember,
2: they—you know—she has appointments, right? And these appointments that oversee the CUNY system. Uh, sorry, that oversee the system in New York, um, as you pointed out, because on many campuses, um, and not just at this particular law school, but across the system, you would hope that they would take aggressive action uh, and and hold the administrators accountable for this for for what's going on on these campuses. Um, you know, I, I believe, and which is why I'm working on legislation uh, and have spoken out that's as if, if if you have a campus that's enabling this anti-Semitic hate speech, you should lose federal funding. right? That should just be the cost. Why are we federally funding places that are uh, allowing this kind of be, this hate driven anti-Semitism, by the way, hate against any community, why are we letting that continue? We should not allow it. Um, and the federal government should not fund it, which is. And I, listen, I talked to the Assistant Secretary of Education and Civil Rights about this exact issue. Why aren't we? What's going on with a lot of these cases? You, you think you look at places like Berkeley and GW and uh, Michigan and other places where they have cases that are are still uh, up and open, um, even Rutgers, New Jersey uh, campus. You know, we've had cases that have been open a very long time that have never been closed, that have never been addressed. We had the part time faculty at. Rutgers literally vote the part-time faculty members to, to, as, for a BDS measure um, uh, and, and, and encourage the school to stop having any involvement with Israel when it comes to the funding side, right? Uh, the part-time faculty, imagine being a student in those classrooms with those faculty, right? So we, we can't allow this behavior to go on in these campuses as these anti-Semitic tropes are furthered, right? These lies are told about apartheid and other, right, and and occupation. Um, So in my opinion, we should be very strongly standing up to it. The Office of Civil Rights should, the states should, uh, in all instances. And and frankly, the Biden administration needs to act faster, in my opinion, uh, to take action here. And if they don't want to, we should stop federally funding these colleges that allow this sort of hate
0: congressman you mentioned Gw that that's a case I think that caught a lot of attention inside the beltway uh, because of obviously the centrality to to d c and a lot of alumni in 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 politics in Washington and you have this case of a professor Lara Sheehy, who has apparently just really been abusive and anti-semitic towards students and the administration has sided with her allegedly according to the complaint issued with OCR. Uh, you know, force them to take her class. Then, when they complained, sort of put them on disciplinary action. And you would think that after the OCR complaint was filed, they they would, you know, this is GW has in the past, you know, done the right thing when, when confronted with, with certain events. They joined, you know, Hillel's Campus Climate Initiative, etc. But but here you are, a Campus Climate Initiative graduate, and. They commission this independent law firm report to say, "Oh, we're clear. Lara Shee did nothing wrong. The students are are wrong," but won't release the report. Won't won't make that public, etc. What goes on? You you talk to to these universities. I'm sure when you file your letters and you're complaining, you're calling. What is going on in their mind? Do they just not understand anti semitism? They want it to go away. They don't care. They're under pressure from from you know, the Palestinian community, what, what is it? What would drive a GW to defend that sort of activity? Well, I mean, there's gotta be systemic problems here,
2: right? Because you've got at at some of these universities where it's coming from inside the university too. I think GW's commission actually cleared that professor, right? Of the claims against her, which is completely outrageous. It's not just at the student level. It's not just at the student level. You've got administrators probably like a problem in the administration with some of these administrators. So, um, and listen, the, the president of Rutgers, when we called them out about the incident I, I mentioned to you about the part-time faculty with the, and what they had pa- – the resolution they passed, he came out against them. And then two or three days later, reverse course because the pressure was just so great on him from faculty and students. So I think part of what's happening here is you've got administrators who are feeling such pressure and such heat, right? That that ultimately they take cowardly stances, um, and because it's just a, a, uh, the path of least resistance on these college campuses. Uh, and you know, this is a big, this is a broader problem that we're dealing with overall in anti-Semitism in the United States, where these, including, so it's not just in the far right, but you've got to see pockets in the far left where these voices are coming out. They're furthering misinformation and then turning campuses and young people against the U.S. Israel relationship. Um, And as you know, I believe strongly that a lot of anti-Zionism could be anti-Semitism. And so these things are connected. They further each other. And then we have a a much broader problem. They're reinforced on social media. Some of my colleagues further these tropes um, and they spread even to to younger people like wildfire. Um, And and then, you know, like at CUNY, we've got the law school last year passed resolution supporting the BDS movement. And it was endorsed by the school's official faculty association, if I remember correctly, right? Are you kidding, right? The faculty endorsed what the students did. So you've got a larger echo chamber going on at these campuses um, that you've gotta be very worried about which is why I think we need to be more aggressive about getting the truth and the facts out there about what's really going on. But you're really fighting uphill in a lot of these cases and why you've gotta get these facts out. It's like, we gotta explain to people I'm doing it in a letter right now. Pay for slay and what goes on. How is that okay? Why aren't we talking about that on college campuses about what um, uh, the PA practice their practice of actually giving money out to the families of those who carry on terror activities and kill is, kill Israelis right? Why why aren't we talking about that? You're also up against at the same time, and I'm working on something on the ICJ right that that's coming up on the on the, on the court right on the uh, on, and and worrying about. Uh, the 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 commission of inquiry right coming up and they're going to put out I'm sure something that's going to drive a lot of us crazy with what they come out as they come out against Israel uh, Israel as they often do just like the UN does on a regular basis right and 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 they, they pick on Israel they further these lies they encourage BDS um, and then in the end it just all right they they all feed off each other so we have a much broader problem going on here um, that I think we we. We need to be really cautious about.
1: Congressman, we know you got to run to catch a flight, but I got one more question because Rich always beats up on me on uh, the anti-Israel behavior inside the Democratic caucus. And I guess my question to you is, what is the state of the pro-Israel view inside the the House Democratic caucus? Uh, I contend that it's just a few outliers. Uh, Rich would tell you it's much more of a systemic problem, but you're in the middle of it. So your, your take is what matters most, I well, think.
2: Well, I think I'm with you on this one, Jared. I, sorry, Rich. I know we were together on most things today. But but uh, on on what I believe is you've got a few people who are just very loud. Now, uh, if you look at the votes, so that's BCS, BDS on, um, uh, on the interceptors for the Dome, for more resources for the Dome, on the MOU, on these key votes, right, which come up time and again, uh, you know, we see – Uh, And then you've got a bunch of new strong freshmen like like Moskowitz and Landsman and others that I was with on Kevin McCarthy's trip to Israel. I was also on Hakeem's trip the week before to Israel. I I went to both trips to show the importance of this being a of course critically important. This is a bipartisan issue, uh, right? That that Israel is not a it must be a bipartisan issue. And if you care about your job as a member of Congress and the oath you take to protect the United States of America you have to support the U.S. as a relationship, right? Because it's critical to our national security, to our fight against terror, to uh, our furtherance of democracy in the region, right? I, I believe that very strongly. And I always say to my colleagues, like, even if you don't like Israel, if you believe in the oath to protecting our country, you have to support, support this relationship. But to Rich, to your point and your concern, I want you to know this. What we have to worry about is when it's that, I, and I do believe this, I believe more members of Congress on the Democratic side Go home and get beaten up for having their U.S. Israel positions. More of them, a growing number, and I think they vote the right way, but they don't like to speak out as publicly because you just get punched for it, right? I think that that's no fun, and so a lot of members probably avoid, you know, try to keep their head below the parapet, and so that's that's one issue. But when you look at the actual votes, they're consistently strong there, and you've got Republicans that aren't also right. Don't forget that you've got people who make comments that We should also talk about if, like Marjorie makes her comments, or other people make their comments that are extreme, where they don't believe money should go to Israel. Or you've got uh, what's his name um, uh, in the in the Senate, who Rand Paul, who who you know con- consistently stood in the way of the dome and interceptors, right? You've got pockets of problems. Uh, I think the the you know I, and I, what I don't want to have happen. And I, I hope you'd agree with me on this, is because it has to be bipartisan for, for our national security, because it must be, and we should never let this become a partisan issue. What I have no patience for is either side using it as a political issue, as a wedge issue, to try to say, ah, oh, look, the Democrats are, some of, the, some of these Democrats in the squad are terrible on Israel. So what we should do is try to make everyone look bad on Israel and end up hurting the U.S.'s relationship because they make it partisan. If you if you care about the relationship you would never on either side allow this to become a partisan issue
0: it hey, congressman you mentioned the pressures inside the base I'm seeing that play out uh, as well Jared knows I've talked about a lot uh, inside ESG as well where obviously th- there's been a long-standing movement uh, mostly from those that are care about climate change the environment but this has also become the sort of intersectional area of every sort of interesting far left concern, and we're seeing BDS move into ESG, especially with Morningstar, the large financial giant, and their ratings uh, really starting to downgrade. You know, twenty six Israeli companies just for for their operations. Uh, I know Florida has just announced they're, they're going to investigate them with their anti-BDS law. Perhaps Governor Murphy will as well. Who knows? Maybe we'll, uh, we'll get lucky. Am in, Mays in uh, he's, he's great on this issue. So And, and we have a yeah. very deep
2: relationship with Israel in Jersey. By the way, you're right to be concerned about that. And, 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 and we're voting tonight on a special envoy for the Accords um, that I think will have overwhelming support. So, I mean, Democratic support. So, I think we should watch that vote closely.
1: So, so Congressman, we got two lightning round questions for you here, and then we're going to let you go. Um, We'd like to get a better sense of who our guests are as people. So the first one is your favorite Yiddish word or phrase?
0: Meshbucha. Oh, that's a (laughs) a good
1: one. You can't go wrong with Meshbucha. I was
0: was also going to ask you what your favorite Jewish food was, but the more important question is Springsteen or Bon Jovi. I mean, that's not really close, Springsteen. Oh, that's the correct answer.
1: All right, Congressman, favorite Jewish food?
2: I think Kasha Bonachis, I, I think by far. Um, I think Kasha, favorite Jewish food.
1: You know, I I always like shied, shied away from that because I felt like it was always a food I ate at Shiva. And so like it had like a very uh, negative dude, connotation. You ruined
0: it. Fine, a oh, good sorry. pickle. Really? What? what? Who associates that I with Shiva? I, I know, I I've never heard uh, that. I, got right, that with, like, a pi-
2: I mean, you want me like a pickle, a turkey sandwich? What do you want here?
1: No, like, no, no, no. Uh, it's great. Listen, it's it's an honest I, answer. I
0: will I will tell you, as a German Jew, I never heard of it in my life until I got married. I like I never heard of it. Oh, really? Suddenly it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to oh, get really? varnishka for Russia's Hashanah Like, what is that? Never heard of it, never had it. <laughs> love love Kasha, love it.
1: Congressman Josh Conheimer, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. If you like the show, help us get the word out to other people. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and most importantly, tell your friends because that's the best recommendation we can get.
0: Until next time, this is Jewish Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening.